Well, it was Halloween, and I was in the fourth grade, and my brother and I got permission to go to the haunted school. Whew. Many regrets. Um, <laughs> I grew up outside of Columbus, Ohio, um, before we moved down in fifth grade to Houston, um, and there was an abandoned school there that um, was, uh, they had all these horror stories of why it was abandoned, uh, and whoever was in charge of that school said, let's embellish that fear, and every Halloween, we'll do a haunted school. Um, and so they invited the community to come to this haunted school, and to this day, this was the scaredest I've ever been in my life. <laughs> It was the worst experience of my life. Uh, you walk into this abandoned school at 10 p.m. with the lights off, and you hear screams in the distance, and you're just like, why did we commit to this? And then you have this, the, this tour guide who wants to walk you through the hallways of this abandoned school. And so the, the haunted house, the haunted school, really what it is, is you're walking down the hallway of a school, and you're looking in classrooms, and you're seeing these scenes that are getting progressively scarier. Um, and they, so they, they, they did it really well. They started out with, like, Casper the Friendly Ghost or something like that. You're just like, is this what was all the hubbub? It's Casper. And then it became like Freddy Krueger. And then it became Jason. Then it became zombies. And then it became chainsaw massacres with like actual chainsaws taking the blade off. But it got loud. It got scary. And I won't go into the details because not everyone here loves horror as much as I thought I did. Um, but <laughs> that is what we were walking through. And it got progressively worse and worse and worse to the point when we were at the last two, three scenes, and I didn't know how many more there were to go, but I remember we were, we were sprinting out of the last scene because <laughs> me and my brother were just like, we're done, we are done, <laughs> because now the people in the classroom started to walk outside of the classroom, and we're like, no, <laughs> you, don't, you don't cross that line. We thought we had a barrier. We thought there was an agreement, <laughs> and there was not, and so when they start coming at you, you're like, I'm done. <laughs> I don't want to do this anymore. And so, like, it was the most embarrassing thing. I'm in fourth grade, so I can get by with it. My brother was in sixth, and so that's on the verge of embarrassing. Uh, but sorry, Tyler. Uh, if He's not watching this. Uh, <laughs> there's no way he's watching this. But we were done. We were done wanting to, wanting to do this. And so we were literally crawling on our hands and knees to get out of here because they had this barrier that was um, maybe three feet high to to block between you and the, the scene. And so you could, you could hide yourself under whatever that scene was by just, I don't want to see it. It doesn't exist if I don't see it. And so we were crawling, and we were like, I'm going to get out of here. I don't want to do this anymore. I'm sorry I said yes to do this. God, I'll be a good kid. Just let me out of here. And, and we were saying, I don't want to do it anymore. But all we hear is just dead silence. And in, if you know any horror movies, like, Dead Silence is bad. You're like, oh, gosh, it's about to hit. It's about to hit. Like, quiet is never good. And so we're just trying to get out of there. But the, the tour guide's like, you can't leave unless you see it. And we're like, I don't care. And she's like, she's like, just stand up. And I'm like, you stand up. <laughs> she's, she's like, just stand up and you can leave. And we're trying to get out of here. And finally, like, me and my, my older brother just, like, pull our hands over the, the barrier. And we're just like... And there it was, E.T. 
was the last one. <laughs> so for those of you who don't know what E.T. is, who weren't born in the 80s, uh, E.T. is this friendly little alien that, like, think of him like Mike Wazowski from Monsters, Inc. Uh, he, he's happy. <laughs> but they did this so, so well done that it was like, we were so scared. I didn't want to have anything to do with it, but the very last one was E.T., and so for, to this day, I will never look at E.T. again. Like, was he the kingpin that was responsible for all the horrors that came before it? I don't know. Probably. So just heads up, right? It was frightening. <laughs> to, in that moment, we were hesitant to hope. Like, can it actually be over? Can it be done? And so, like, we were, like, literally, literally walking out of the E.T. exhibit. Like, is he going to start, like, jump, jumping at us to get off his bicycle? We were just, like, walking backwards, like, I don't want anything to do with it, right? So we were just, we were hesitant to hope. And so my, my question to you today is, have you ever been hesitant to hope? Have you ever started to think, this just feels too good to be true? I think many of us feel like that. We're like, I, I can't actually hope. Well, I want to say to you, you are in good company. You are in very good company because today we're going to be talking about this hesitancy to hope, Noah, and the rainbow. And we're going to look at this passage today in three ways. We're going to look at the return, the relationship, and the rainbow. The return, the relationship, and the rainbow. And so the return. Just to catch you up, if you are new, if this is your first Sunday here, welcome. Um, or if you're like, I don't even know what I did last night, let alone what you preached on two weeks ago. Uh, we're in the book of Genesis. Uh, we're in a series called In the Beginning. Um, and, and things aren't going so great. We just had a, a worldwide flood that destroyed everyone and every living thing. And so uh, it, it was... It was Flood. It was judgment. It was mass genocide. And so talk about horror stories and horror movies. Uh, it was a traumatic event for the world, but it was also traumatic for Noah and his family. They have to, to smell what was floating outside of him, right? It, it's, it's a scary scene, and that's where we ended last week. We ended, or two weeks ago, we, we ended with just Darkness. But today, we find out that that's not the end of the story. There's an African-American preacher named Samuel Proctor who said that it is a story about second chances and new beginnings, and yes, it is. God gives humanity a do-over. The waters return, and so that the flood isn't the end of the story. And, and in verse 3, the waters receded from the earth continually. Now, many people would think, um, you know, they heard that it, that it rained 40 days and 40 nights, and you're like, man, that must have been really hard for, for Noah and his family to be in this boat for a little over a month. But how long was Noah and his family in the ark? Anyone know that? How long they were in the ark? 40 days and 40 nights for the rain to come. But how long were they actually in it? Verse 3 goes on, and it says, And at the end of 150 days, the waters had abated. So now 150 days in this boat. And then in verse 4, And in the seventh month, on the seventeenth day of the month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. But was that the end? No. No, the waters just went down enough for the boat to sit on top of a mountain. So then Noah sends out a raven. 
and it goes to and fro. Why? Because it's now just eating all the flesh. It's having a field day that's out floating in the water. That was a bad idea. Let's try to send a dove. <laughs> so then he sends a dove, but the, the dove comes back, and he sends it out again. There, there's this, there's this, this dove sending, going, going and sending process, um, but the dove kept re- returning, telling them that the waters were still too high, right? Finally, the dove goes out, and he brings back an olive branch, right? And this is, the, this is the, the universal sign now of peace, that the dove with the olive branch, peace on earth. The dove found land. And in verse 11, so Noah knew that the waters had subsided from the earth. So it's like, all right, get out of the boat, Noah. And, but what does Noah do? The dove to- told him that it was safe to get out, and yet he is hesitant to hope. Now, you imagine you're Noah's family. Like, can you imagine that? You ever been in a, a long car ride across maybe a couple states? And as you get closer and closer to your destination, it's really hard to wait at that point. You're like antsy, like, aren't we there yet? Well, they're there. <laughs> Can't we get out? No, not yet. Like, ooh, ooh. Noah's, Noah, Noah, Noah waits. He, he's told that you're free to go out, peace on earth, but let's just wait a little bit more. And so he sends out a dove again. And, and in another time, and he, he knows that the waters have gone away, and so the dove goes out, he waits seven days. When it doesn't return, that's when the fam's like, okay, the dove didn't return. It found enough land to, to make a nest in. Now we can get out. Maybe the family's feeling a little bit claustrophobic in this boat, but Noah waits another month. In <laughs> 24 days on top of that. Oh, I'd be losing it. <laughs> I'd be like, are you kidding me? The raven's free. We got rhino feces just piling up. Like, <laughs> Let's get out of here. <laughs> like, I got to get out of this boat. Like at that point, you're, you start losing it, right? Maybe I shouldn't have made that rhino feces joke. Okay, um, get me out of here. But Noah waits. He waits and waits and waits. And finally, God says to Noah, get out. <laughs> get out, Noah. It's safe. I know it's hard to believe. I know it's hard to trust, to hope, but it's safe. Good things can and do happen. And so there are times in our lives when the storm hits and it hits, and it hits, and it hits. And you feel like, will there ever be sunshine? And some of you may be in that storm right this second. Will there ever be sunshine in my life? Will it ever actually be good? Like, we've seen too many deaths this past year. We've had too many interpersonal conflicts. Too many painful relationships. And we've been so isolated and we as a church are like, well, at least we can come together as a church, but then drive in. <laughs> no, we can't. The rain tells us we can't come together. And so I think it's just, it's weighing on all of us. And we are hesitant to hope. And I'll just be honest, I have been very hesitant to hope with this building. I just kept waiting up until this moment for Mission Waco to call me and say, hey, Slim, psych. <laughs> You can't use it. <laughs> or like, they'd be like, oh, I'm so sorry. The, the church burned down. And I'm like, oh, gosh. <laughs> something extreme like that. Like, our minds can come up with a million reasons of why something will not work out. Do you guys do that? So many things we just like, oh, maybe it won't happen. So I'm just hesitant to ever like be at peace and find joy and happiness. <laughs> it feels weird to be happy, right? It feels like God is saying, no, you can actually hope. You can actually believe that, the, that past pain 
doesn't promise future failure. Let me say that again, that past pain doesn't promise future failure. That's not how this works. And so we've seen the return, but now let's look at the relationship. The first thing Noah does when he gets out of the ark in verse 20, then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. Like these are some of the animals that Noah just saved from the flood to then offer on the altar. Sorry, animals. Um, Verse 21, and when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. There's a lot in there right there. So much is packed in, theologically packed into that. But let's start at, at, at God's promise at first. I will never curse the ground again. He's promising, never will I send a worldwide flood, right? Now, some of you have lived through floods, and you're thinking, why did you not promise this in locally? But he says, I will not promise this globally. And so maybe you've experienced the devastating effects of of Hurricane Harvey or Katrina, and you go, that is devastating. Now, imagine that globally. That's that's the power, destructive effects of the flood. And God's saying, I won't do this to the world. I won't cover the whole earth again, but let's start over. Let's have a do-over. And what happens? God commands Noah, and it sounds like God's talking to Adam, if you you look at this. In verse 1 of chapter 9, it says, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Doesn't that sound like Genesis uh, 2 when God's saying, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth? Like, it almost sounds like God's like this conductor, and he's like, okay, up from the top again, let's try this over. <laughs> you know, Noah, you're, you're Adam part due, right? Like, this is, let's, let's, let's do this over again. And God says, now, let's formalize this relationship. Let's, let's, let's establish my covenant in verse, uh, where are we at? Verse 9, behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you. Now, quick, what is a covenant? A covenant is this contract. It is the formal contract. It's an agreement. And so God's saying, let's have a DTR. Uh, This is how I'm going to interact with you. Um, But whenever God enters into a relationship with someone through a covenant, the intention there is to save. I'm going to enter into a contract, into a covenantal relationship with you to save The relationship is instigated to save. And so God vows, I will never flood the earth again and destroy you. But look who else the covenant is for in verse 9. Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you. And in verse 10, with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth, with you as many as came out of the ark, it is for every beast of the earth. And so God doesn't just make a covenant with men and women. He makes a covenant with the earth. I think this is new to a lot of people, that God makes a covenant with the earth, with the beasts and the birds. Why? Well, as we said earlier, when he enters a covenant, it's to save. But to save the animals from what? To save the animals from mankind. Like, to save the animals from human beings kind of hits you a little bit, doesn't it? Makes you feel a little bit 
different about the flood. That God's making a covenant to save tigers, to save gorillas from human beings. Why? Because we're responsible for this death. Sin is destructive and it brings out destruction. And so why does God care about these living creatures so much? What does it matter if a bird ends up dead? God is reminding us how much he loves his own artwork. It's, it's his canvas, his artwork that he cares about. And God's artwork speaks volumes about its creator. Like, don't you notice that whenever you just like go and listen to a waterfall and the power of that waterfall, you're like, whew, that's awesome. Or when you go and you see a sunset and you're like, that is so beautiful. Or when you look at the skies and the stars, there's something in you that makes you go, there has to be a God. Why? Because the stars, the animals, the waterfalls, they're all speaking. They're all speaking the voice of their creator, reminding you that they were created. Like, it, the, the beauty reminds us that there, there was a creator behind it. The sunrise is just too glorious to be random accidents. And so when you look at something and you say, I know there is meaning, why? Because creation is speaking to you. And it's our job to help creation keep speaking, to not let their voice go out, to let trees be trees and keep singing. I know we hit this really hard when we talked about environmental theology a few weeks ago, but this is the stress of Genesis here, that in God's words, he cares deeply about his creation. The birds, the butterflies, they all have meaning, and we can see that meaning when we see how a hummingbird flies. We can see there's meaning. And so Christianity gives us a vision for a world and, and urges us to love and care for it in ways that are totally beyond other faiths. Like, it doesn't teach us that this world's trash to be discarded one day when we go to heaven or that it's unimportant or evil, um, but it's good. And this good creation can't wait until we quit sinning against it to let it be what it's created to be. Elizabeth Elliot has this great quote. says, A clam glorifies God more than we do because it's being the clam it was created to be. Isn't that great? <laughs> A clam glorifies God more than we do because it's being the clam it was created to be. Brothers and sisters, clams are preaching better than we are. Hurry up and get with it. They're living out what they're meant to be. And so one relationship that is reinforced is our relationship with nature after the flood. But another relationship that has to change post-flood is our relationship with one another. And so before the flood, we're told that the earth was filled with violence. And now God emphasizes in chapter 9, verse 6, Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made men and women in his own image. Now on the surface of this verse, it seems like it's saying a lot of things that I don't think it's actually saying. If you look at that verse, many use this verse... To justify capital punishment. Many take this verse and say, this is what we will use to say it's okay to kill another human being. And yet, others will use that same verse, that same verse, and argue pacifism. Like that nobody has a right to take anyone else's life. That same verse, they'll use the same verse to argue against one another and to live a life of nonviolence. And so what do we believe? 
What, what do we do with this verse? Well, I'll just say this, that nowhere in this verse, in this section, is God talking about governments or the state, what they should or shouldn't do. Uh, it's not addressing that in particular. But what I would say, I, but I personally believe Brian Stevenson's whole body of work with the Equal Justice Initiative and, and his book, Just Mercy, if you've read it, I highly recommend it, it reveals that we get it wrong too often. That we send people to be executed who are actually innocent. And that is evil. That is wrong. It is broke. And so that, that's how I, I think we, we go, this verse doesn't speak to or against it, but we can go from our own knowledge here in America that there are ways for us to, to make this better. Whatever this verse is saying, it is emphasizing the value of human life, that every life is precious. Why do I see that? The value you place on something is shown by the price you pay for it. And God here tells us that human life is so valuable that there is nothing on earth that it can equal it. The only thing equal to human life is another human life. And this is the doctrine of the Imago Dei all over again, made in our likeness. Human beings, no matter who they are, are precious every human being. And so do not waste their blood. And some of us may say, okay, yes, of course, I, I, I believe that. Everyone's made in the image of God. And yet later in the week, we may call someone trash. Later in the week, we may treat someone like garbage, like less than human. And we assume the worst about people. The greatest atrocities in history have always come when one group has regarded another group as less than human. But the Imago Dei, the image of God, pushes us to fight for justice and to see life as sacred. As sacred. And so the elderly, the invalid, the immigrant, men and women with special needs, the, those experiencing homelessness, those who vote differently, those who aren't even Christians are created in the image of God. Anyone, everywhere, is created beautiful, precious, has value, worth, and we owe it to God, not just them, we owe it to God to value them that way. Because God's image is in them, and so we owe it to God to honor them that way. But if we just leave you with those first two relationships, the, your, your love and care for nature and your love and care for your other fellow human being, you could get all fiery about justice and social justice which I'm all about and we want to encourage. But the third relationship is needed. Otherwise, you won't be able to keep going. And so we saw the return, we saw the relationship, but now let's look at the rainbow. God knows you are hesitant to hope. Because deep down, every single one of us knows that we've blown it. Right? Every single one of us knows that we don't do it right. Yes, I want to take care of the environment, but I don't even know where my trash goes after I give it away. Like, yes, I want to fight for social justice and the Imago Dei, but I also know my inner thoughts and how I paint others in the worst light. And so I doubt, like, how can I fight for true justice when I'm unjust? Like, when I'm a part of the problem, ladies and gentlemen, you're not alone. And so let's do a little experiment. I do want your feedback. What went into the ark with Noah? Two of every kind. So we have the animals. Yes. 
with animals. What else? Family. Noah's family. Anything else? A lot of answers. God's image. Yes. Thank you. Sin went into the ark as well. Think about that. We, I think we like to think about it like this. I think we like to think about it like this. Like God, if God was like, okay, let's get all the animals in, let's get all the humans in, and then like, all right, let's quick, let's quick, let's go quick. Shut the door before sin gets in. Like, like they're coming, they're coming. Just lock the door. Uh, is that how it works? <laughs> no. The reason he makes this covenant to save the earth from humanity is because he knows that sin has crept into the ark like an alien inside of every single one of us, hiding the deepest recesses of our minds. It's like those great alien movies where you think, is it gone? <laughs> is it here? <laughs> And you find out it bursts out of them like it was living inside of them. It's a parasite, right? That's right. a very family-friendly service today. Sorry about that. Sorry, parents. <laughs> Promise next week will be better. <laughs> I hope. Uh, Malcolm's preaching. It will be. Um, are the people safe? No. Are the people safe in the ark? No, because sin is inside with them. They brought the sin inside them with them. You can't lock sin out. Sin goes with you wherever you are because sin is inside of your own heart. And so the flood didn't stop sin. It stopped the magnitude of sin across the globe. But wherever human beings are, sin will be there as well. Because right out of the ark, right as Noah gets out of the ark, the very first thing Noah does is he makes an offering to to God. And at that point, God says, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Which is exactly what God said before the flood. And so God knows we're hesitant to hope now. Like, is it any better? How can we hope when I am the disease? Like, we, he, God, he knows that we're skittish. He knows we, we need a sign. And God's sign comes in the most beautiful way in the form of a rainbow. And this rainbow, this one thing in nature that, is, that is, points to a greater hope. In verse 12, God said, This is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. Verse 13, I have set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. It is a sign that is pointing to something bigger and better the rainbow is the symbol of the gospel. How? Well, when you, when you find a rainbow, on a, do, you, do you find it on a sunny day? Somewhat no, somewhat yes. But you need what for a rainbow? You need rain. <laughs> you need storms to bring rain. Like, you need ver- so like on one, you need a storm for a rainbow to happen. And we never find God's grace unless we are in the storm, unless we see our neediness. I mean, there needs to be this backdrop of sin and dark clouds to see the beauty of God's grace. I mean, think about it. When life is all sunshine and tulips, are you really relying on God's grace at that moment? No, you're thinking, I'm good. I don't even know if I need God. It's not until we're in pain that we cry out and say, Lord, I need you. But it's not just rain that's needed for a rainbow. It's also you do need that sun. You need the sun and the promises of God amidst the storm to shine through. 
And you need that sun to shine through into the darkness of this world and the darkness of our own human hearts. And it's at this connection, this rainbow connection. I was thought about doing it in the Kermit voice. I chose not to. <laughs> at this connection of the storm and the sun that we get to see the gospel. Right? At this connection between sin and salvation, we see the gospel. Because what is the shape of a rainbow? It's a, it's a semicircle, right? Now, if you go into space, it's actually a full circle. Did you know that? Blow your mind if not, right? But from our vantage point, a rainbow is this semicircle that looks like a bow, like a bow and arrow, right? And we, we like to think of bows and arrows. Uh, this passage doesn't actually say rainbow. Uh, he says, say, I set my rainbow in the clouds, so that's an accurate interpretation. He says, I laid up my bow or my war bow in the clouds, the bow is, the, is, is a battle term, the battle war bow. And God is saying, I'm putting it up. God is transforming the bow from being a symbol of combat, and it's now a symbol of peace. I think when we think of bow, we think of like Katniss, or we think of Robin Hood. It's like this like happy instrument. But the bow is a war bow. It is, it, is, it is used for war. It's almost as if God said, I'm going to put a gun in the clouds. And that, that's, a, that's a different image that we have for a rainbow, right? We have that happy image of it, but it's the symbol of war. And God's putting this war bow up in the clouds. And it's a sign of a second chance, yes. But it's something more than that. The rainbow is not just a do-over. The rainbow is not just a do-over for us, not just a, a happy second chance. He's making provision for future sin because of this. He's laying his bow up. No more judgment, no more wrath, no more condemnation, no more wrath for us if we put our hope and faith in him. Now, there's this famous preacher, Charles Spurgeon. You may have heard of him. He says that if you looked at a rainbow, which direction is it pointed? It's pointed up, right? What happens if we flipped it and the rainbow was now pointed down? How would we feel? How would we feel? Would we feel that God says no more wrath, no more condemnation, and yet you have a bow pulled tight, aimed at you, twang, like that, it would make us feel maybe there is condemnation coming, maybe there is wrath. But the, the rainbow is pointed upwards. The rainbow is pointed upwards so that when, when we shoot the arrow of judgment, it goes down into our hearts, but it goes into God's heart. That there, there is, there's, there's both the juncture of mercy and judgment come together in a rainbow. And it's at the cross of Jesus Christ we see that same thing as well. We see the storm. God is so holy that someone had to die, but his love is so committed to us that he wouldn't let us die. And grace comes and he takes the wrath for us. He got the wrath so that we could get the rainbows. The arrow goes through his heart and not ours. And if you read in the fourth chapter of Revelation, the third verse, there's this rainbow. And where is the rainbow? It is around the throne. Ooh, I love this. Because a rainbow is not just something we talk about, like, oh, what a cool imagery. We're here, hearing that there's a rainbow around the throne of God that we'll get to experience forever and ever and ever when we get to heaven. It's the striking image of the judgment seat of God. You have the storm and judgment, but the rainbow around the throne with the light shining through 
shows us that the bow is not a temporary symbol for earth only. It's a symbol of everlasting heavenly things. And so the rainbow, yes, is a token of peace, but it's a token of vengeance as well. It's still a war bow. God didn't put it on his back. He didn't put it on his lap. He put it in the air, aiming it at him, pointing it upward, and we shoot our sins right into the heart of God. It's still a bow. Vengeance is there. Justice is there. But grace is there too. This is the sign of his covenant, to save us from us. God isn't just saying, I'll save the world from you, but I'll save you from you. The rainbow is just, I mean, it's just, it's a beautiful image. And it's so full of beauty. It's so full of hope. I mean, I want to think about the the beautiful image of God's covenant here, that life life is bursting forth from the storm. Hope amidst pain. And so are you hesitant to hope? Look at the rainbow. Are you hesitant to hope? Look at the rainbow. The flood is at the end of the story. There is life after it. And so it's not just any hope. It's not just mere conjecture. And I I hope I make this. It is rooted and grounded in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And today he is reigning from heaven. And it's a hope better than we can even comprehend. Like we can't even comprehend all all of the different gradations of light in a rainbow. Like if you look at the the rainbow, you can't tell the difference between all these different colors, between a red blending into a yellow, into a green, into a blue, into an indigo, into all the violet. There's all these millions of shades in between. We can't even comprehend those. It's going to take eternity to look at all the different shades of God's beauty and his gloriousness. And good news is we get eternity to look at that. To look at his glory and his beauty and his hope for eternity today, I want you to see how precious you are to him. Hinder the hesitancy to hope with the sure anchor of Jesus. And may that spur you to see this world and our brothers and sisters as precious. And may that sure hope anchor you as you uphold the Imago Dei and care for God's creation. Let me pray.